Hello and welcome to the Family Planning Files, a podcast from the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is one of the training centers funded through the Office of Population Affairs to provide programming to enhance the knowledge of family planning staff. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In response to the recent global pandemic of COVID-19, or novel coronavirus, this episode will be part of a series of interviews from the field with frontline family planning staff in order to learn how they and their organizations are adapting in these challenging times, and to provide ideas and direction for listeners who are facing similar situations in their own clinical settings. Today's guest is Evelyn Kiltaika, a board-certified nurse practitioner in women's health and family health. Evelyn is the Senior Vice President of Program Services at Maine Family Planning, where she has worked since 1995. At Maine Family Planning, she oversees the operations of 18 health centers and also administers all subrecipients' clinical grants for reproductive health services across the state. Evelyn received her nursing degree from Sacred Heart University and holds master's degrees from Simmons College and Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Welcome to the show, Evelyn. We're so excited to have you here. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's great to be with you today. So let's just dive right in. What are the particular concerns around COVID-19 for patients in your area? Maine is a very rural state. We're the largest state in New England, and New England is made up of six states. So just to give you a sense of the size, you can fit all the other New England states inside the state of Maine. But our population is relatively low. We only have 1.2 million people living in the state. And most of the folks live in the southern part of the state and then along what we call the I-95 core. Corridor. But after that, it gets very rural very quickly. And, you know, a fair number of folks live in some fairly remote parts of the state. So those are some of the challenges uh, we're dealing with in terms of access and ensuring that our patients can still get care through our system. And within your clinics themselves, what policy, procedure, physical changes have you made in the clinics themselves to reduce transmission risk for COVID-19 so far? Well, like everyone else, about a little over a month ago, when we all realized that this was a pandemic, we and our state governor started to implement a lot of policies to increase social distancing, limit things to essential services. We took a look and immediately started looking at how we were going to transition as much as we can to our telehealth platform and to put into place all the CDC guidelines that when you do come in contact with a patient, we don't have we don't have N95 masks, but we are masking when a patient does come into the office to be seen. And I can talk a little bit about that triaging, that we are having the patient mask, the the clinician mask, and then doing all the appropriate wiping down of areas and hand washing and those sorts of things. So we started a little over a month ago, limiting the office visits to just what we consider to be essential and pushing everything else we could to our telehealth platform. Anyone who is coming in for that routine method renewal, we are automatically reaching out to them and renewing their method for another three months. Whether that were contraceptive pills, depo, the ring, we were automatically extending it three months saying, you don't need to come in for this. You're going to have a consult with the clinician and she will renew your prescription and either send it to you by mail, call it into your pharmacy, or you can come pick it up with the curbside pickup. So you mentioned a little bit about how you're triaging, and I know a lot of clinicians all have a little bit different to their methods. Can you walk me through your triaging process of determining who needs to come in versus who needs a telehealth consult? 
Absolutely. And understand this is evolving as uh, we realize that the pandemic and the shelter in place orders are going to last a little longer. So I'll start you off with what we initially did and where we are now. Initially, we closed down our online scheduling so that everyone had to talk to our call center because then we could determine what their needs were. And the call center was tasked with triaging those calls. So if they knew, for instance, someone was an established patient who wanted a renewal, they would send that to a clinician for an automatic renewal and with instructions of where the patient wanted the prescription to go. With regard to in-office visits, most of those determinations went right to the clinician and they would determine whether or not they needed to be seen or it could be something through telehealth. Like someone maybe having symptoms of a vaginitis or some concerns about an STD exposure, that was a clinical decision. So that went to the clinicians to determine. But then there were some things that were really straightforward that the call center staff would immediately make it a telehealth visit. And either that day, right then, they would see who on the schedule was free and put them into our waiting room that then the MA would pick them up and do the initial conversation and then put them in the waiting room again to them for the clinician to see them. So that's been how our triage is working. What we're anticipating now is... We were holding off, like many folks, initially with LARC insertions. But last week, we determined that LARCs, given that this is going to go longer, are an essential service and that we're reaching back out to those patients who may have asked for a LARC. And we're now talking to them, doing the appropriate screening, doing everything we can through telehealth with regard to consenting and history. And then when they come into the office, they're going straight to the exam room and being seen by the clinician and then leaving. They're taking payment by phone. But all of that's done ahead of time to minimize uh, the time they're in the office. What we anticipate as going forward is that like a lot of us initially, we were all very, very, well, we're still scared, but really scared and like, okay, I don't need to be seen for this. I'm going to hold out. You know, I'm having some symptoms of whatever vaginitis or some sort of other thing. I'm going to wait because I'm too scared. But now what we're anticipating is more of those patients are going to pop up and say, I need to be seen. I've been having some things for a couple of weeks. So we're going to be working with our call center to help them nuance that. And again, those will probably be calls that will go to a clinician to determine what's appropriate in terms of their needs and bring them in because it's not fair to ask call center staff to make that decision. So that will be the process for triaging. But as again, it's, it's sort of evolving as things go on and we're understanding our patient needs. We did shorten our clinical hours as a result of COVID, but every health center that we have is open the days that they're regularly open. So if you go to our website, you'll see that our Waterville office is still open Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but we've shortened the hours because it just didn't seem to make sense to have a full day when you knew you weren't going to be necessarily having a full clinic. But we are accommodating patients who need us after hours. The staff have been fabulous at coming in early or staying a little later. You mentioned that you already have a telehealth platform, and I know a lot of clinics are just starting to roll out telehealth, but yours has been established for quite some time. Can you walk us through some of the challenges that you all initially faced and how you overcame them, advice you might have for clinics that are starting to roll out telehealth services when it's needed very quickly, things are stressful, how they can make this a bit smoother? We were fortunate. We started with telehealth back in 2015, and it's been an evolution. We're still with the same platform, but it has evolved over time. 
So I'll just say to those folks just starting, even though we had some experience with telehealth, it still was a pretty much a fire drill three weeks ago. I'm going to be honest with you. So just let people know we did not have the keys to the kingdom by any stretch just because we've been doing it. What it created for us is that staff who've been timid or I've lost my login. Now it's like, okay, no excuses. And just handholding, let's do some role playing. I'll help you. Don't panic. Because you know you have some staff that are very comfortable with problem solving. Um, sort of technical issues around telehealth and computers in general. And you have other staff that go zero to 60. We're just, again, working with staff around that. And I think the biggest thing is we gave them permission to say, don't struggle with this. If you're having connection problems with the patient, simply do it by phone. You know, the fortunate part about this is that they've given us plenty of leeway as long as you documented that if for whatever reason you lose the connection, just call the patient up and finish the visit that way. Don't stress yourself out or the patient out with trying to spend 10 minutes problem solving it. And that has been huge in terms of giving staff or relief the, the permission to say, let's just do this by phone. Because one of the things that we initially get, and I'm sure other people are doing this, is when you initially establish a telehealth connection with the patient, you immediately get a phone number and anticipate that there, if there is any technical difficulties, we'll continue this by phone. And what differs a telehealth visit from an in-person visit? You mentioned, you know, physical things, but in terms of walking through health history or things like that, are there major differences or adaptations that you've had to deal with? Well, we can do quite a few things by telehealth, like birth control method starts and renewals. We do what we call uncomplicated UTIs, pregnancy options counseling, method counseling, screening for STDs to determine whether or not it's an office visit or whether or not we can treat presumptively. And it's all in a continuum. We had a clinician was telling us about a patient she had initially connected with through telehealth. We kind of figured out, okay, I think this is what's going on tried a treatment, didn't work, got back in touch with her by telehealth. And then finally, clinician says, you know what? I need you to come in. I just need you to come in. And she said, Evelyn, literally it was a five minute visit, but I got to do a wet mouth, see what was going on, make the determination and finally get the patient what she really needed. You know, I want people to know that you can maybe start out with a tele, but it may end up as an office visit because it just really ultimately that's what the patient needs. So it's a really case-by-case basis in terms of what's in the best interest of the patient. And, you know, we're all trying to keep our staff safe and our patients safe. They certainly don't want to come in unless we think it's essential and vice versa. But again, when they do come in, everything has been done and they're moving right to the exam room and being seen and then leaving. Not like the usual, oh, here's your time with the MA. Here's your time at the front desk. Here's your time in the exam room. We are also staggering so that there's no waiting room anymore. You're coming in, you're going in to see the clinician. Changing tack a little bit, uh, obviously, when you're still seeing patients, you have to make referrals. Have you had any issues with trying to get patients to outside services? We have not as of yet. We have a very robust federally qualified health center system in Maine. And as I'm sure a lot of family planning folks that are listening or watching this, we've had very long-standing connections with our other healthcare partners, whether it's social service or medical folks. So we're fortunate that we can generally pick up the phone and call and say, I have somebody that needs to be seen. And because we, like I'm sure everybody else, have established relationships, you don't get pushback. If they know the clinicians, they say, if you tell me this patient's got something going on gynecologically that needs to be seen, let's make an appointment. 
And have you had any problems with keeping the clinic's supplies stocked or stocking any sort of medications? And have you found any ways to address that? We've been lucky. Right at the beginning of the crisis, we did an inventory right away of what we had for PPE. We ordered up the thermometers so that everybody gets screened. If people are coming in, we're doing the, the infrared thermometer. We ordered more wipes. We ordered more gowns and goggles and the whatever face masks we could get. Not the, not the N95s. Those are very limited and those should definitely be for frontline folks in hospitals and, and first responders. So, so far, we've been okay. And we're just grateful to our facilities manager and our uh, person who does all our other ordering that they jumped on it right away. And And with mentions of staff, obviously, how do you assess staff health? Because obviously they may have been exposed. And have you had to deal with any gaps in staffing due to coronavirus? Early on, like in the middle of March, we had one situation where we needed to have three staff people self-isolate. And fortunately, they got through the 14 days without any problems and were able to come back. And the person in question tested negative. So that was a big relief all the way around. We have not had any staff issues as of yet. I mean, I think everyone's taking it very seriously. We all joke, like, I go to the office, I go home, that's it. So we've been fortunate that right now staff have been absolutely fabulous. Just having an upbeat attitude and and this very, very sense of esprit de corps around here. And you mentioned, you know, your staff attitudes. Uh, What have some of the clinician leads, the clinic managers have done to reassure staff and co-workers and help keep up morale in these times? That's a great question. About three weeks ago, I suggested that we do a virtual coffee gathering in the first of the week in the morning for a half hour. No shop talk, just a chat, no agenda. And that's been amazingly a lot of fun. It's voluntary, strictly voluntary. We'll get on and just say, you know, what'd you do this weekend? We've gotten advice on how to find good hikes, where um, who's selling lobster cheap, You know, I found out one of our staff is a beekeeper. So I think people have really just loved just getting together and just kind of talking about their lives without it being connected to work unnecessarily. So that's been, I think, a nice kind of release valve and a morale booster. Then once a week, we meet with our medical director the clinical staff, just to kind of hash out how's it going, how's everyone doing, any new issues that have popped up that we need to address, that we haven't kind of figured out a workflow uh, for. And that's been tremendously supportive because her leadership is just phenomenal. She works in one of the largest health systems in Maine. She's a family practice physician, so she's on the front lines. And so she has incredible credibility and compassion and reassurance that what you're doing is well within what everyone else is doing. And it's been very supportive, I think, to have her leadership with those calls. So that's the other thing we're doing. And then once a week, usually I send out an email at the end of the week. One of the things we've been doing that I would recommend if you haven't is we started tracking our patient volume, both with in-office visits, telehealth visits, depot shots, phone calls, supply pickups, and just kind of seeing, okay, where's this volume going to go? So every day people send in their daily log and I was looking at it like, okay, you know, 20, 30 encounters across 18 health centers going, oh, that's not great, Evelyn. But then we just did a look back for three weeks and we compared it to three weeks a year ago, 
three three weeks a year ago, we had almost 900 clinical visits. Three weeks now, 550. I'm going, given how much we've cut back and how much we've limited patients, these are visits. These are either people coming in the office or being seen through telehealth. And it's just, I sent that out to staff today to say, wow, you know, you think day to day, I'm not doing that much in terms of helping my patients. But when you add it up, you realize how many people we've impacted, even though it's been incredibly scary and limited time that we've all been living in. It just kind of said, good work. You know, it's just a nice way to, to kind of look at the data, uh, not just on a day to day, but cumulatively and really say, wow, we are making an impact. It is good that we're here and we're open and we're supporting our patients. They need us. Absolutely. Even in these times, family planning is essential. But our time is almost up today, Evelyn. But before we go, are there any final takeaways or things you would like to share with our listeners? I think just what I said before I've been so impressed with is how vital we are to our patients and how important it is that we're there to meet their needs and that we really fill a very important space in the safety net for patients and women and their families around the country. So keep up the good work. Uh, It is meaningful and important and our patients really need us right now, particularly when they're scared and they want a reliable healthcare provider who they know they can trust and who listens to them and is there for them. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Evelyn, and sharing your time and expertise. You're welcome. For more content, search for the Family Planning Files or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For a transcript of this podcast, as well as other online learning activities and continuing education opportunities, please visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. This podcast is supported by award number 5 FPTPA 006029-02-00 from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, or HHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. Its contents are solely the responsibility of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the official views of HHS, OASH, or OPA. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files. (laughs) 